Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of safe travels. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. Paul. Yes? How are the kids, man? I know we don't talk about them a lot on the podcast, but uh, how are Misato and Shinji? Did they start middle school yet? Interesting names you chose there for my fake kids. Paul, in improv, you're supposed to, it's a yes and thing. You, you don't just cut down my, my um, premise. Misato's great, but Shinji's a little twerp. You know, I didn't want to say anything, but even when he was younger, like, I just kind of got this whiny sort of vibe from him. Right, right. I thought he would outgrow it. Is that still, like, a problem? Uh, it is. Oh, sorry to hear that. Everything's somebody else's fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. How are your kids, uh, Ray and Asuka? I don't have any kids. <laughs> <laughs> hey, wait, what? <laughs> thought, we were, thought we were doing a thing. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't... Uh, ever since I've ever met you, you've been firmly... I'm never going to have kids. Like I'm not sure that's true. Uh, come on. I mean, we've known each other for a long time. You really think that ever since we met, like I've never shown any... Not once. Yeah, okay. I feel like there were times when I was like, maybe... But then I saw the state of the world. No. <laughs> yeah, that sounds more like you. <laughs> Why would anyone have kids in this world? Is this a bad start to this episode? <laughs> Presumably, hey, the people listening to this episode do have kids. I have totally different reasons for not having kids. What is it? I value my comfort too much. I just don't, I just don't want to put in the time and effort. I mean, that's mostly my position, too. Well, good. Good. We're in agreement, then. Anyway, we need to be kid anyways. positive in this episode. Kids are great. I like I like other people's kids. Kids are good as long as they're not living in my place. <laughs> but a lot of people travel to Japan with their kids. Makes sense. It's actually great to travel as a kid. Did you ever get to travel overseas as a kid, Jason? I did. I was fortunate enough that my parents brought me kind of a lot of places. We went all over the U.S. Uh, we went to Canada and. Mexico and the Caribbean. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Nice. It uh, sets you up to be a traveler for life then, too. Yeah. You know, I kind of, I don't know, maybe I was just a bratty kid or something, but I feel like I didn't appreciate it. I didn't appreciate traveling as much as I do now as an adult. And maybe part of it is that I didn't really understand the significance of the things I was seeing and the places I was going. And, you know, we've talked before on the podcast about how important it is to know something about the place that you're going to really get the most out of it. And I think that applies for kids, too. Yeah, absolutely. I tried to look up numbers on how many foreign children travel to Japan every year, and I couldn't find anything that broke down, like, age ranges. That doesn't really surprise me, I guess. I mean, you, you mean like no age ranges at all, like not even below 18 or something like that? Not that I could find. Mm. Well, I know a bunch of our listeners have talked about traveling to Japan with kids, which is fortunate because even though we do not have kids, a couple of our listeners were kind enough to send over some very detailed notes about their experiences visiting Japan with their children. And that's going to form the basis of the episode that we're doing right now. Yep. So... Lucky you, everyone. You don't need to rely on 
our thoughts and opinions about having children and stuff. Uh, one listener, Andy Parsons, gave us a ton of great tips about traveling with an 11-month-old baby. That sounds challenging. Yeah. And Eric and Dr. Nikki Chow traveled with their two children who are a bit older. Uh, one of them turned six on this trip. So I think between these two families, we're going to be able to give you a lot of tips that cover a whole wide range of ages. So I want to say right here, thank you so, so much to Andy, Eric, and Nikki, because without your help, we would just be floundering around making fools of ourselves if we haven't already pretending to know what we're talking about, you know, like we do in most other episodes. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> Am I going too far? <laughs> now, the notes are, were really good, though, because... I think we both looked at the notes and then we were like, all right, let's see what else is out there. And like, everything was covered almost already. There wasn't a lot to add. Yeah. I was surprised at like trying to do other research outside of those notes. So much of the advice that says like, here's how to travel with kids wasn't really specifically about kids at all. It's like, here are some cool cities. It's like, well, yeah, but those are cool cities for adults too. And we've already talked about them. And it's like, give us, give us something new, you know? Yeah. But I think, yeah, I think we got a lot of good stuff. Things that I definitely would not have thought about, but a lot of really good ideas. So again, thank you. So there's some things you can do before the trip to help uh, prepare for traveling with your kids and to help get your kids ready. Let's talk about booking a hotel because that's going to be very important. I thought Andy had a lot of really good tips about hotel options if you have a baby. Like I would have just thought, well, you just take a baby, you stick it in a little business hotel. What's the big deal, right? But there are a lot of things that you might want to think a little more deeply about. Yeah, Space, for example. A lot of business hotels... I mean, by definition, they're small. They kind of give you the bare minimum that you could need. So babies, you might need a little more space than just a couple adults would need. Yeah, I've always traveled so light, but traveling with a baby, you need all that baby stuff. You might have a stroller with you. You're going to have significantly more luggage than I usually bring. Yeah, that, yeah that's a big thing. It's just you're going to have more stuff with you. And you need room to spread that all out. Andy said that they brought a travel cot, which seems really nice because you can't really depend on the hotel to have a perfect place for a baby to sleep unless yeah. you you know, are specifically asking about that and looking for that in the booking stage. Also, of course, you might want some floor space for baby to crawl around. Yeah. Babies crawl, apparently. Some business hotels are really tight and there just won't be room for kids to be kids in there. Yeah. A great solution that Andy pointed out is Ryokan could be a really good option. These are traditional Japanese inns, and the way it usually works is you're sleeping on a futon on the floor, so during the day when you're not sleeping, they can just roll up that futon, and usually it's just like hidden away in a closet or something, so you have all this floor space to use for other things. It's kind of the perfect area for a baby to crawl around on. It's got those tatami mats on the floor that are all soft too. Yeah. Kind of kind of perfect. And of course, it's just a fun experience doing that whole traditional Japanese thing. You get to enjoy the kaiseki meals, you know, multiple courses, traditional Japanese food. That is really cool. Um, but if you're with kids that are going to be participating in that kaiseki dinner, 
if they're picky eaters, that might not work so great. Because with the traditional Japanese food, I mean, even some adults don't necessarily want to eat like a whole fish that, you know, hasn't been deboned or anything. Yeah. Things like that. Like they're just traditional Japanese food. You kind of have to be a little bit adventurous, I'd say, if you're not used to that. But if you ask the ryokan people, they might be able to work with you on that and give you something more kid-friendly, too. Uh, if your child or children are a bit older, you could also go for an apartment-style hotel. That's what Eric did. Then you're going to have a lot more room, of course. You might get a whole kitchen so you can save some money by making your own food. You'll get a microwave for reheating food. The one that they stayed in even had a bunk bed, so the kids were really excited about getting to sleep in a bunk bed. That can be cool. Yeah, he was saying that a lot of hotels he tried to book would only allow one kid with two adults. That's part of why they went with the apartment hotel, is that it allowed two kids. Yeah, they recommended a chain called Mimaru, M-I-M-A-R-U. I looked it up. They have locations all over Tokyo, Osaka, and Kyoto. He said it was his favorite hotel in Japan now. It looks really nice. I didn't even really realize that they had hotels like that. Like, I thought you'd have to go with kind of an Airbnb-type situation or something. Yeah, I mean, I normally filter from uh, cheapest and, like, work my way up to the first acceptable thing I find. Maybe so, that's why I didn't see So I don't always those. see the stuff higher up on the list. You yeah. Know? Some other things to consider when choosing a hotel. You might have to do some laundry... Because we know kids can make a little bit of a mess. So is there laundry facilities available? Is it close to the airport or close to a train station you're going to be using a lot so you don't have to walk as much with the kids? And with all the luggage that kids require? Yeah. If you have like a really lot of luggage, you might also want to think about making sure that you can take a straight line from the airport to your hotel so you don't have to transfer too many trains. That can be a little bit stressful especially if you got a bunch of stuff that you got to drag along behind you. And again, with the luggage, if you're lugging around baby supplies and stuff, you might want to make sure that your hotel can store your luggage if you get there before check-in time. Most hotels in Japan, I feel like, will do that. But you can check on the website, whatever booking website, or the hotel's specific website. If you don't find anything on there, I can usually find a lot of good information in the reviews. Like if they won't accept luggage, someone will probably mention it in a review. A hotel that offers free breakfast can be very convenient and save you time and money. Yeah, just one less thing you need to figure out each day. If you know where you're getting that first meal, that can really help. I thought Eric had another really good tip. If you're celebrating something, a birthday or whatever, if you let the hotel know, they might uh, be able to prepare something a little special for you. Eric's son turned six when they were in Japan, and the hotel put together some balloons and birthday decorations for the room. You know, I actually remember just little details like that really making memorable moments. You know, when I was a kid, we went on like Disney cruises, and each day in the cabin, they would have little like origami towels sitting on our beds and like a little chocolate, and we just thought that was so cool. Yeah. It stuck in my head until now. Wow. Yeah. Eric also said that one of his sons really liked the bathrobe at the hotel, so they asked if they could take it, and uh, front desk like sold them a brand new bathrobe they could take home. That's kind of a fun souvenir. 
I really like those souvenirs that you can integrate into your daily life. And it's just like, it's always there reminding you of what a great time you had, you know? Definitely the best souvenirs. You've been using that teacup you got? Absolutely. On the weekends, in the morning, that's my designated time to edit podcast episodes. Definitely make a little cup for when I'm editing. That's awesome. Yeah. So once you've figured out the perfect accommodations for you and your children, then you probably want to think about what attractions you're going to see. Now, if you are going to be pushing a stroller, you really want to research like if that's going to work at the attractions you're visiting. For example, Andy pointed out that Fushimi Inari Shrine is not stroller-friendly at all. If you want to walk all the way up to the top of the mountain, you're going to have a miserable time. Yeah, as soon as I read that and I... I realized he brought a stroller there. I was like, oh, man. Yeah. yeah, not all places are stroller accessible. And of course, you also want to think about what your kids are into. If you got a little bitty baby that probably can't really form memories yet, maybe not as big of a deal. But if your kids are a little older and they have specific interests, you want to tailor your plans to that a little bit, right? Yeah, you can do definitely some of the normal touristy stuff, but... You know, how many temples is a kid going to want to see before they start getting bored? Or how many different castles? So limiting how much of that you see and mixing in some other things that are maybe more fun for the kids can help keep them engaged. Yeah. If they like toys. I mean, there are a lot of great Japanese toy shops. They're into Godzilla. There's tons of really cool Godzilla stuff. Oh, yeah. Most kids are into ninjas, I would think. There's a ton of great ninja stuff. We just talked about it. Yeah. In the, samurai. In the Everybody likes katanas and samurai swords. Yeah. Sharp things are always fun. <laughs> and maybe you want to plan some surprises. I think that's a good idea. Because when you're a kid, especially, I mean, everybody likes, well, not everybody likes surprises. He doesn't like surprises. But I think kids like surprises. And, you know, I remember on one of those Disney cruises, the first one, my parents surprised us that we were even going on a cruise. Wow. Wow. They went all the way. We were like, okay, we're flying to Florida. We're like, okay. And then we're like on a, a shuttle or something from the airport and we start getting near the water and we see a cruise ship and mom and dad are like, guess what? You know, I think they even had like a little orientation video on the shuttle or something. And we're just like, no way. Are we going on a Disney cruise? And we just went crazy, you know? So if you know your kids are really into something, maybe keep it a secret. I don't know. Just an idea. Yeah. It could be fun to give one thing they really want to do, like, oh, we're going to go to Disneyland in Tokyo and get them all excited about that, but also plan a surprise thing, too, that they're also really going to enjoy. Yeah. Oh, man. If your kids are into Harry Potter and you just, like, showed up with them at Universal Studios Japan and they saw Hogwarts Castle. Like yeah. imagine how amazing that moment yeah. would be. Maybe you when you're five or six days into the trip and the kids are getting a little tired, give them a nice surprise to lift their spirits. Yeah. You gonna surprise me next time we go to Japan, Jason? <laughs> Man, what do I do? Should I like hire a cosplayer to dress up like one of your favorite anime characters or something? Yeah, actually. <laughs> it's just the first thing that came to mind. And then know. they just hang out with us all day? Yeah, we just like go to a bar together. Yeah, sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to eat, right? Yep. 
I guess you do. Uh, and I mean, for most meals, you don't need to reserve them in advance. Most restaurants you can just walk into, no problem. But if you want a fancy special meal at a popular restaurant, or if you just want to have plans ready so you don't need to deal with the trouble of finding a random restaurant, maybe you want to plan ahead a little bit. So I've talked a bunch in the past about how great Kobe beef is, and Japanese beef in general. Different parts of Japan have their special, famous, delicious beef. Eric sought out Wagyu beef. He said he had some trouble finding a place in Kyoto with an English menu and had trouble booking a reservation because it's just hard to book from overseas, especially when they want advance payment, which in my experience, they, at the very least, they want advance notice of like what you want. Like you place your order in advance. They may or may not ask you to pay in advance. Mm. But uh, so they ended up booking through the website OpenTable. I've used that as well. That's a good, reliable one. But I've also eaten at a few Kobe beef places, and they all had websites with an English page where you could book reservations. Uh, so, you know, that's a bit of a process, just so you're aware if that's something your family might be into. Uh, another good tip that Eric pointed out is for any expensive restaurant, if they have a lunch menu, it's going to be significantly cheaper than the dinner menu, even if it's pretty much the same food. So that's, uh, especially for, you know, a family, multiple people, that can be a good way to go. That's a great point. I don't think about that a lot because I don't need a ton of like fancy high-priced restaurants because there aren't too many vegan ones. Yeah. So I don't think about that. But yeah, that's great. You could save like a significant amount of money on a lunch menu sometimes. Yes. Uh, Another tip, there are a lot of famous restaurants in Japan. We talked about how Japan has more Michelin star restaurants than any other country in the world, right? Is that, or is it Tokyo? Tokyo has the most of any city. Maybe that's Japan, what I'm thinking. I don't know. Maybe maybe they have the most of the world. Maybe. But yeah, definitely Tokyo specifically more than any other city. So there are a bunch of restaurants that have been really well known for years. I feel like recently there are kind of a lot of restaurants that just pop up on Instagram and kind of get viral famous. But don't feel like you need to go to those places to get good food. You know, these are just like little, I don't know, it's a popularity thing. It's not necessarily that it's the best food you can possibly get. And Some there's of the best tons, food is street food. Yeah, there's just there's great food all over the place. And if you go to those really popular places, you'll probably have to wait in line if they don't take reservations. Because a lot of restaurants in Japan are really small. They don't seat a ton of people. So Eric's tip, which I agree with, is maybe think about what types of food you want to eat rather than which specific restaurants you want to visit. Uh, another note... Unfortunately, not all restaurants in Japan are foreigner-friendly. Eric had a little trouble with that. He tried getting a reservation at a restaurant via the Nara Tourist Information Center, and after they contacted the restaurant for him, they said that the owner declined the request when he found out they were foreigners. It's not necessarily like a racism, malicious kind of thing. You know, a lot of people just say that they're just not comfortable and trying to communicate with people that don't speak Japanese. Like, they're concerned that they're not going to give you what you want if you can't communicate clearly. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that they were so brutally honest back with him about exactly what happened. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is a thing. It's not super common, I don't think, but I've heard about it multiple times. I've seen pictures of signs saying no foreigners. I haven't seen that in person. I I did have one experience that I think is maybe related. I walked into a restaurant 
And as soon as they saw me, they just like held up their arms in an X, like, no, no, you, you can't eat here. Yeah. And then I said in Japanese, like, oh, do you need a reservation? And then they looked at each other and they're like, oh, um, well, actually, we have a table that's available until like, you know, an hour from now or whatever. And I was like, okay, I'll, like, I can, I can eat that fast. And they let me sit down. So I don't know if they initially wanted to stop me because I was a foreigner or because they didn't think they had time. I don't know. But or they had a limited time and they didn't think they'd be able to explain to you that you need to leave in an hour. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just, but, uh, I just remember them seeming like they warmed up to me when they heard me speak Japanese. Yeah. So I don't know. I've definitely heard from foreigners that live in Japan that occasionally they go to a restaurant or bar that like doesn't want them. But if they start, start speaking fluent Japanese to the person, then they kind of like, okay, what, yeah, whatever, come in. Yeah. Like they get that sometimes. Yeah. And yeah, it might just be, you know, they're uncomfortable dealing with foreigners. They don't want to try to speak English, that sort of thing. Let's talk internet. Got to have internet, right? It's pretty much essential in the modern age. Can't live without it. Well, there's a bunch of great options to get internet in Japan now. You can rent a SIM card for your phone and pick it up at the airport or even have it delivered to your hotel. But I feel like I'd rather pick it up at the airport because then I could find my hotel. Sure. <laughs> you can get a pocket Wi-Fi device. That's great for multiple people. Like if you have kids that have their own phones, it's really nice to just have one device that gives your entire family internet. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Or there's international plans uh, with your cell phone carrier. You maybe be able to get internet for an extra payment. Yep. Eric said he got a SIM card from Kluk. K-L-O-O-K. Sounded like it went well. He picked it up at the airport. Um, Sounds like a Norwegian company. Or Finnish, like the Kluk. I feel like that would be K-L-U-K with some weird accent over the U or something. Well, I'm, I'm saying off the pronunciation, not, okay. not the spelling. <laughs> gotcha. So did you say you can have, oh yeah, you can have the stuff sent to your hotel or the airport? Yeah. Like if your flight's getting in so late that you might not be able to pick it up at the airport, you could then have it sent to your hotel. Right. Another option is an eSIM. There are various websites where you can get an electronic SIM, so you don't need to worry about receiving anything. You just kind of set it all up on your phone. I use like download an app that lets you access the network. Yep. I man, throw throw E in front of anything, and it's like, ooh, eSIM. E yeah, oh, that sounds easy. I want to do that. Yeah, exactly. That's actually cool, though. Yeah, I think that's what I'm going to try next time. That's what I was thinking of doing until I found out I could just turn international on on my phone, and I was like, that seems so much easier than trying to do anything else. That's what I went yeah. with. As I mentioned, I didn't have the greatest experience with my cell phone carriers, international data stuff. But. Yeah. So look into the options, see what's best for you. As for transportation, it's generally pretty easy to figure out when you're in Japan, like how you're going to get between places, but there are some things you might want to think about in the planning stage. Do you want to buy a JR Pass? That's definitely something to think about. JR Pass can be very useful if you're traveling on the Shinkansen quite a bit. So you can use a fare calculator, and we actually have a link to on our website on the travel tools tips. We do. Uh, you should be aware that the JR Pass prices are increasing in October. 
we put out an announcement recently about that. So go check that out. We talked about all the specifics of how that's going to work. But if the countrywide JR pass isn't going to work for you, there are also regional passes. So if you're going to a specific part of Japan, those can save you a lot of money. It kind of depends on which region it is. Uh, like some of them have various discounts on attractions as well. So something to look into. And the prices on those region ones aren't increasing like the price on the countrywide one. So another place to look into your options. So if you do decide that the JR Pass or one of the regional passes is going to work for you, we have an affiliate link that we'll post in the show notes and is also in the travel tools section of the website that if you buy your JR Pass through that for the same price, we get a little bit kickback for directing you there. and That would help support the podcast. It would be much appreciated. Another thing, Eric had a good tip that I never really thought about, but we've kind of talked about before. Japan has a lot of special train lines. Like a lot of the trains in Japan look pretty similar. The experience is pretty similar, but there are special ones where you get a little something special. For example, the romance car that runs between Tokyo and Hakone. We've mentioned that before. Like yeah. Love seats kind of. Yeah. This thing. Paul, have you heard of the Sagano Scenic Train in Kyoto? Uh, no. It's like a sightseeing train. Like it's all above ground and you get good views and stuff. The Aoni Yoshi train is one that connects Kyoto, Osaka, and Nara. And this looks super cool. Another listener actually sent me a video of this recently. It's like a sightseeing train. And then because it's based on looking out the window, all of the seats are angled so that you're looking out the window. And it's like you got two of them kind of angled towards each other and at the window with a little table in between so you can just hang out and awesome. enjoy the scenery. And there's even like a little bar in the train where oh, you can go get drinks and yeah. snacks. It looks super cool. Like it reminded me of the Orient Express or something. Yeah. You know? That seems like a nice way to like get out of the hustle and bustle. You're trying to take the Shinkan Center or something. You're going into the busiest station in the city and waiting through all these crowds. Like... No, you just get on this little scenic train and it's comfortable and cozy. Yeah, that would be really cool. Uh, if you want to do one of these fancy trains, there are a bunch of them out there you can look up in different parts of the country, but you definitely want to book those in advance. They're popular. Another good thing to think about when you're planning navigation is you might want to look at Google Maps Street View and look around the places where you're going to be, especially around your hotels. Because streets in Japan don't always have names, addresses can be really confusing. So at the very least, I would say drop a pin on your hotel so you know where it is. Yeah. And Street View is really going to help you find the entrance, too. You know, Paul, when we were in Osaka on our last trip, remember we stayed at that hotel right next to Osaka Station? The first time we got there, we like looped around through these back streets from the station to find the hotel... But then we realized later on that there was a direct path straight from the station to get in there. And yeah. Like if I had looked around a little bit more on Google Maps, I might have found that. So, yeah, I think it did have a sign there, but it was pretty small. Yeah. It's kind of like a little alley between other buildings or something, I think. It was, yeah. Anyway, so just, you know, it takes out a little stress, especially when you're hauling a bunch of luggage to know exactly how to get where you need to go. Yeah, you don't want to take a long turn and get lost with your kids. 
You were so right about dropping the pins, though. I was a little bit lazy last time, and I didn't drop a pin on like every hotel because I was like, oh, it's easy. It's the Dormy Inn. But no, there's a Dormy Inn seaside. There's a Dormy oh, yeah. Inn downtown. There's, there's once or twice where I got lazy typing in directions, and I started walking the wrong way, and you were like, Paul, where the hell are you bringing us? And I'm like, oh, that's the other port ferry terminal. We <laughs> want the port ferry terminal that actually goes to Sakurajima. Like, yeah. So that's what I get for. I looked at the maps and I found the things, but I didn't drop a pin everywhere. And I, and I paid the price. Got to drop those pins. Yeah. I think it was the only two times I messed up with directions in the trip, but it was right at the start and within a day of each other. And I'm pretty sure you, the rest of the way you were like, oh my God, is Paul going the right way? Yeah, I, I, just I, I learned I, I can't trust Paul. I immediately lost confidence. Paul of, is no longer the designated <laughs> navigator when we're walking around in Japan. But I, I was good the rest of the way, but I could see how you doubted me. So I thought Eric had a great point about creating excitement. Yeah, yeah, that was really smart. Uh, I guess I mentioned this at the top a little bit. Like we've talked a lot on the podcast about learning about the places and about the culture before you go so that you can get the most out of it. And that totally applies to kids too. Maybe you don't need to teach them the entire history of Japan or whatever, but you can tell them about like fun little folklore stories that relate to places that you're visiting. You can teach them about local customs and like just let them know something about this new world that they'll be surrounded by. So, number one, give your kids info about the places you'll visit. I was really flattered to hear that Eric used several of our podcast episodes to get information that he passed along to his kids. For example, uh, if you're visiting Kiyomizu, which they did, like we had a bunch of details in that episode about these auxiliary little shrines and facilities and stuff. We did episodes about samurai and ninja and Oni and Tengu, and you can just kind of let them know what these things are and what they mean in Japanese mythology. And then when they see them in Japan, it's like, oh, cool, there it is. Yeah, that's the Tengu mask. It's got the big nose. And if your kids are likely to get bored, like if they know and can recognize these things, that's a good way to keep them engaged. You can also tie in some of the pop culture stuff, like... Do your kids know that Pokemon comes from Japan or Mario comes from Japan? Did you know that Pokemon is short for pocket monsters? What? How come? But that's an English word, Jason. Japan's weird like that. (laughs) They take words from English all the time. They made two random English words that turned them into a cute Japan English word. Japan loves smashing together words in (laughs) English and Japanese. Yeah. It doesn't matter where it came from. Do you think that's common knowledge that Pokemon is pocket monsters? Like, no, how many people no, know that? I don't. Mm. I think you just blew a few people's minds, Jason. I hope so. Poke monsters. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Eric said he showed his kids videos of Japanese vending machines, so they're really excited to see those all over the place. That's cool. Even for adults. I mean, the first time you go to Japan, it is pretty mind blowing how many there are. Didn't he say he gave his kids like a few yen every day that like, oh, you can spend on uh, the vending machines or the crane games and the kids got to decide when and where they wanted to spend their money? I thought that was really clever. Yeah, yeah. Claw machines and gotcha bone machines are 
fun for all ages, especially for kids, I guess, maybe. It's like, here's 500 yen. Use it whenever you want. Yeah, go crazy, but choose wisely. Yeah, because that's all you're getting. You could, if you want to, teach your kids some useful Japanese words. It's pretty fun using a foreign language in that language's home country. Yeah. That's a weird way to say that. No, yeah, it'd be fun to teach them, you know. Ohayou gozaimasu. Yeah. Sumimasen. Everybody should know sumimasen. <laughs> yeah. It's like an excuse me, sorry. You know, if it's crowded, you get in someone's way or you bump them, well, sumimasen. Or if you have to stare blankly at somebody because you have no idea what they're saying to you. Uh, sumimasen. Just say sumimasen. I'm just a dumb foreigner. I don't know. I feel like people would be like blown away with cuteness if like a little five-year-old like bumped into them, a five-year-old foreigner, and they're like, sumimasen. Totally, totally. (laughs) Uh, You can start a meal with itadakimasu. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I've gotten great responses in Japan to using gochisou sama deshita at the end of a meal. Yeah, yeah. That's like, thank you for the meal. If you say gochisou sama deshita, or especially if a little kid... You know, went up to the proprietor and said, Oh, she saw Samadeshta. They would flip out and be like, Oh, thank you so much for saying that. That's so awesome. Yeah. Like, seriously, just as a random white guy in Japan, I had so many people, as soon as I said that, they just, their faces were beaming. They were so happy to hear that. Yeah, that's really cool. You could teach your children to use chopsticks. It's probably a good idea. Yeah. I mean, one, it's fun to like learn to use them and then use them in Japan and just like feel like you're, you know, experiencing the culture, but also then you don't need to ask for forks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And hope that they have forks. Right. Right. <laughs> and you might want to have your kids practice in advance. So they're not like figuring it out for the first time, you know, on your first meal in Japan. Maybe you want to talk about when and how to bow. Yeah. I bet Japanese people would really appreciate to see kids bowing. It's like, Oh, that's nice. They're trying. They're not just being little hellions. It's a fun new thing for a kid to learn about. If you plan to visit an onsen, it's good to know how that process works in advance. Maybe you teach your kids about that. Maybe listen to our onsen episode together. Yeah, I got the. Uh, I offended everybody in the Korean bathhouse I went to. Tell me that story. I, uh, yeah, I walked out of the bath area and I was like, there was only like one little door leading out of it. So I'm like, oh, I'm in the way. So I went and started walking to my locker and like everyone in the place immediately like pointed at me and started shouting because I was wet still and walking to my locker. And that's a big, no, no, you're supposed to dry yourself off immediately. I guessed wrong. And I was there with my brother and then he saw that and he comes up to me later. He's like, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you, you dry yourself (laughs) off before before you come back. (laughs) Oh, thanks, bro. (laughs) Yeah, it's good to know how that process works. And, you know, maybe you want to tell your kids about what makes onsen special. Yeah. Like, it's not just any bath. I think that we're going to the bath is less exciting than we're going to go sit in volcano water. Yeah, yeah. It's going to make your skin glow when you get out. Yeah. Tell them about all those purported health benefits from that special water. If you are not going to be pushing your kids around in a stroller or whatever... If they're going to be walking themselves, you probably want to make sure that they're ready for walking long distances. Japan's a very walking-heavy country. Yeah, yeah. Eat dinner with chopsticks and then go take a family walk. Mm-hmm. 
Eric said he had his kids prepare for the trip by walking 5,000 steps a day on their treadmill at home. Okay. That's a good idea. I actually did that here myself, too. Worked up my legs on the treadmill in the apartment. Yeah, what were you doing? Around 5,000 or? Like for preparing? Yeah, when you were getting ready. Um, I didn't like count. Well, I was trying to do like 10,000 steps a day, I think. Okay, okay. Pretty much every day. That's the whole day. Yeah. Yeah. How much did you do in Japan on the active days? Oh, uh, I don't know. I'd have to look at my phone. You're like probably 20,000. But it's 000. funny, like, especially with the new the Apple Watch tracking like all my health stuff. It's so funny to look at every little metric and seeing the numbers go crazy for that, the time in Japan. Like yeah. everything changed in my body for those three weeks, you know? Uh, Eric also had some tips about preparing your kids to behave properly in another country. His kids look like they're around the age where they have a whole lot of energy. You know, kids bounce off the walls a lot when they're uh, excited. And so he talked to them about how in Japan... Like, in a lot of ways, kids are kind of treated like little adults. Like, they're given more responsibilities than in a lot of other places, I think. Is that fair to say? I won't argue with that. I mean, they're expected to handle themselves, you know? You'll see little kids riding the trains by themselves in Tokyo or in Japanese schools. Like, kids are in charge of cleaning the classroom every day at the end of the day. Like, just little things like that. Like, they are expected to behave responsibly maybe at a younger age, I think. Yeah, they're allowed to play and be kids, but like when it gets serious, they're expected to behave and have manners. Yeah. So it's almost like positive peer pressure, right? You can tell your kids like, you don't want to embarrass yourself in front of all these well-behaved Japanese kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he also stressed to his kids about how they wanted to focus more on experiences than material things. That's an idea I can definitely get behind. Although, of course, I like to buy stuff that I don't need in Japan. I mean, <laughs> sure, hard to resist. I thought this was cool. He gave each of his kids one request that would be granted, you know, as long as it was reasonable, whether that request was buying a specific toy or going to a specific place. I don't know. It seemed good to, like, just set some expectations like that. Like, we're not going to go everywhere you want to go whenever you want to go there. But, you know, you have some autonomy. You have input into this trip as well. I like setting the limit and giving the kid the power so they can sit there instead of every time just being like, I want to go there. I want this. I want that. They get to sit and think like, when should I use this? What do I really want to do? You know? Yeah, totally. Treating kids like they can actually think. I like that. I remember being a kid, and I think I would have appreciated Something like that. Same here. I always loved when people like respected my maturity and like gave me something I could do like that. You know, I, I always appreciated that. Totes. Okay, so let's say you've done all your planning. The trip is coming up fast. Got to start packing together all your crap that you're going to need. You probably, I mean, I... Personally, I say it's always a good idea to pack as lightly as possible. But of course, with kids, that's going to be more difficult, especially with a baby. Like babies need a lot of stuff, right? Yeah. Andy, traveling with his 11-month-old, said that he felt like they brought just the right amount of stuff. But that meant having a suitcase, two large traveling rucksacks, three pieces of hand luggage, a travel cot, and a stroller. That's a lot. Yeah. So let's break that down. Uh, the travel cot. Andy described this as like a little 
light tent-like thing for the baby to sleep in. It was about the size of a backpack to carry around. Okay. Sounds like it could be useful, but again, you can check with your accommodation to see if they have anything they could offer. Uh, Stroller and or baby carrier. Eric talked about how versatile a stroller can be. You can hang a bunch of stuff on it. It can help you like carry things around when you're out and about. And I mean, a stroller is, you know, that works for a wide range of ages, right? Not only babies want to be pushed around in a stroller. If you have kids that are going to get tired after walking around for a while, a stroller can help you stay out and see more things instead of having to return to the hotel early. Yeah. Eric pointed out that you don't necessarily want the largest size luggage because you could run into problems on trains. I've never had to worry about that on the Shinkansen, but I have heard things about how large luggage can be problematic. There are limited spaces for that. At the end of the car, there's a place where you can like lock up big luggage, but there's not always space available. So maybe medium size is a better way to go. It might also be a good idea to have some soft foldable bags with you for carrying around smaller items during the day, perhaps. Like I, when, I, when we were in Japan, I had my little uh, kind of crossbody, what do you call that? Shoulder Satchel bag. bag. I don't know if it's a satchel. Mail but. carrier bag. <laughs> Whatever. The point is, like, you want something that you can carry things around in during the day. Also, if you end up buying a bunch of souvenirs, it can be nice to like pull out a bag that packs really compactly and then you can open that up and fill that up with stuff. I got a nano bag at the recommendation of another listener. This is, have you seen these nano bags? Did I show you the one I got? I don't think so. So it's like this really thin nylon bag that folds up incredibly tiny. It's just like a couple inches long, like this little tiny thing you could stick in your pocket, but then it opens up into this big like tote bag sized thing. So that's perfect for stopping at the convenience store, maybe picking up some snacks for the night, souvenirs, like just so many situations where that can come in handy. Oh, and Combini's charge for bags now. So doesn't hurt to have one. Yeah. Vacuum bags could be used to save you some space in your luggage. Nice pro tip there. Definitely. I know you've got, you don't have vacuum bags, but you've got those little bags that you like roll up and. Yeah, people call them packing cubes. They're just like little zippered bags of different sizes so that you can keep things compact and organized. Those are super useful. So there might be some stuff for your baby that you want to just bring anyways. If your baby's a picky eater, maybe you want to bring some food because you're not sure what kind of Japanese baby food you're going to find. Yeah, if you have a specific brand of food or formula that you want available, don't assume that you will be able to find those in Japan. Andy said he brought along pre-made bottles and food pouches that came in really handy. Kombinis are great for like general things. They have fruits and veggies and whatever, but they don't have everything you could possibly need. Another thing that can be really useful if you're worrying about moving stuff around is that there are courier services in Japan that can move your luggage for you very conveniently. Eric said that they split their luggage into two sets. So they had one for the first half of the trip, one for the second half of the trip. And like they were in Kyoto at the beginning of the trip, which has a lot of places that aren't super stroller friendly, like we said, with Fushimi Inari and stuff. So they packed the stroller in the second set of luggage 
sent that on to their next accommodation, and then you just have a lot less stuff to worry about. Yeah, that's really cool. I haven't personally used any of these courier services before, but I've heard great things. Like, it sounds like they're pretty simple to use, I guess. Yeah. If you are going to do that, though, you might want to make sure that your hotel is willing to receive stuff for you. Yeah. You know, you don't want them to just receive your luggage without any notice. And they're just like, what is this? Whose is this? Why? Yeah. why? We're not going to accept this, you know? I haven't done it with luggage, but I've like ordered tickets to events multiple times and had them mailed to my hotel. But I'll always email the hotel just to make sure that they're cool with it. Because sometimes they require certain information on the mail. Like one of them needed my room number and the date I was arriving, I think, and then they would hold it for me. Okay. And the courier services will hold your luggage too and then deliver it on the day you arrive if you need to do that. Right. Because your hotel might not be willing to hold on to it for a week right? until you get there. But the, but the, the hotel still will. might be taking it before you arrive that day too. So you still want to loop the hotel in on what's going on. Right. Uh, Eric also pointed out that the delivery service they used charge per item. So you want to consolidate as much as possible, put smaller stuff inside of bigger stuff, save some money that way. Yeah. So you got all your plans, you got packed, you get to Japan. Now there's a whole bunch of new challenges that you got to face. <laughs> yeah. So when you arrive in Japan from overseas, you're probably going to be pretty tired you might be switching a lot of time zones. Depending on where you're coming from. But yeah, from the US, it's a little bit of a rough transition, I'd say. Can be. Andy, with his baby, said it wasn't too bad, especially since like you're all adjusting at the same time, you know? It's not like the baby's still going to be on the same schedule you are. Yeah. So you'll probably be up at 3 a.m. that first morning anyway. That's how I always end up. <laughs> so after arriving at the airport... You're probably going to need to take a train to get into town or get to your hotel. So you might want to buy an IC card, which is where you could put money on to ride trains and buses. But just know that if you put in that you have a child below 12 years of age, you can get a much cheaper rate on the train rides with that child's card. I think it's half off. Yeah. So that's, that's significant. Definitely. But don't try to cheat the system and use the child card yourself because apparently it makes a different beep when you go through the gate and they'll be watching. Oh, clever, clever. Yeah. Other transportation and navigation tips. Again, Google Maps is great for getting around. Like it's so great for walking directions, public transit directions. It gives you all your train options and all that kind of stuff. One thing that can be tricky is that train stations can be enormous and confusing, especially in the middle of Tokyo. And Google doesn't really help as much with getting around inside the train station. Plus, there are a bunch of underground tunnels, especially around those train stations, and those are also not on Google Maps. So definitely watch for signs. Like when you're underground, the signage is pretty good. You just have to pay attention. You do, because it splits off in so many directions sometimes. You're trying to find exit west or exit nine. Like You really have to watch, and you might have to walk a long ways to get there. 
Yeah, so you want to make sure you're going in the right direction. If you're dragging a bunch of stuff and your kids, like you don't want to ha- realize, you know, oh, we went a mile in the wrong direction. <laughs> now I have to turn around and do all that again. Yeah. Uh, so don't be scared to ask for help from station staff. In my experience, they're always happy to help. Yeah. And there's usually somebody around with enough English to help you out. If you're having a really tough time and you're about to cry and you're stuck underground, just find the nearest exit and get to street level and then you can use Google Maps. Yeah, you can always find your way from a different exit. Yeah. Paul mentioned trains. In most cases, the most convenient way to get around. You can also use taxis, of course. Uh, Andy said that you can take a baby on a taxi without a baby seat, which is different from the UK. So, worth mentioning, I had no idea. Yeah, I didn't either. And taxis are a better deal if you have more people. Yeah. You know, if it's three or four of you splitting a taxi bill, that could be almost the same as four train tickets. But you do want to keep the ride shorter. It'll add up if you're going more than two or three kilometers, probably. But that can save if the kids are getting tired or you're getting tired of carrying everything around. You know, take a taxi instead of walking two kilometers until your next attraction. Definitely. Might be a good call sometimes. Yeah. Buses are a little trickier than the trains, generally. They're okay. But sometimes they're necessary, depending on where you're going. But even if they're not entirely necessary, one perk of buses that Eric pointed out is that you get views of the city that you wouldn't get on a train. You can look out the windows. Buses don't usually go underground. Yeah. Especially true if the city that you're in has sightseeing buses. Yeah. Paul and I took a sightseeing bus in Kagoshima. That was really cool. Yep. But buses are a lot slower than trains too, so that's something to consider. Yeah. What about food, Paul? We talked a little bit about food, but... You got some options for food in Japan. Japan's known for its food, but what do kids want to eat? Who knows? Only the kids do at right? any given moment. Right. But you got some options. I heard tempura is popular because it's just oh, totally. breaded and fried everything. Anything fried is and good. And it's delicious. Uh, and it's not spicy. Udon noodles, I heard, are popular with kids. They like the thick, They're the chewy. thick noodle they have with the chewy texture. Sure. texture. Yeah. There's always McRonald's, you know, if you need it. Something a little familiar. McRonald's. <laughs> I didn't hear anyone recommend this, but here's my recommendation. Yeah? Family restaurants. Sure. They're like a hamburger steak. Like a kid might like that. They have like an American-ish type food. Your kid might be able to find something that they like there. Totally. Go to Jonathan's. You go to a Denny's. Have you been to a Jonathan's yeah, in Japan? Yeah, a long, really? t- long time ago. I never, I've seen them all over, but I never went in one. I don't remember what I ate. Mm. You know, for Japanese kids, curry is really popular. I would think for most kids that would be popular because it's like fatty and salty and yeah. tasty. A lot of places you get it, it's not going to be spicy. Yeah. If you're in a bind and you just need some food, Konbini are always there for you. Convenience stores. Yep. They'll have your... Fruits and veggies and all sorts of snacks and whatnot. Sandwiches, fried chicken. Oh, man. I got to mention, at Family Mart, which is one of the biggest uh, convenience store chains, up at the front, right by the checkout, they have a little case with something called Fami Chiki. It's like Family Mart fried chicken. 
And I know it sounds shady getting fried chicken from a convenience store, but I'm telling it's you... It's different in Japan. It's amazing. It's better than KFC. And everybody raves about it. I don't recall ever it's eating famous. it. It's famous. Yeah. Like, if you go on, I don't know, Japan travel forums and stuff, people are raving about Famichiki. I've never heard a person, even online, claiming that they liked fried chicken better from anywhere else but Famichiki. It's so good. Just it's point just, at it, hold up one finger, or, you know, how many, however many fingers... <laughs> You want? Oh, man. Oh, here's another thing. Okay, sorry. I, I don't want to drag this out, but I just saw a video on Instagram where somebody took one of those uh, egg salad sandwiches, which are also super good from yeah. the convenience store, and they stuck a fami cheeky inside the sandwich. Yeah. I want that so bad. <laughs> I'm sure you'll get it next time. I absolutely will. Other food options. If you're tired and you just need to like relax and order in, that's possible too. Uber Eats does exist in Japan. And depending on your hotel, they might have room service or they might just have some menus for local restaurants that can deliver to the hotel. That would be a great idea if you're all tired out and don't want to sit for an hour at a restaurant. Definitely. Can we talk baby for a minute, Paul? Yeah, we got some baby tips. Number one, be prepared for a little attention. If you got a really cute baby and they're crawling around, people might want to pick them up, say I was, hello. I was not expecting that. Reading through Andy's notes, I was surprised, but people kind like, of delighted. People like babies everywhere. That's true. He said that they were in a shop one time and they just let a woman hold on to him for like 10 minutes. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, babies need diapers. Yeah, yeah. So you go to the Kobini, right? The Kobini's got everything, Jason. You're going to be disappointed. Yeah. And there are a few things that you really might expect to find in a convenience store. Like sunscreen? Exactly. How did you know? That that's what I was thinking. <laughs> Ran into that once. Yeah. It, it's kind of funny. Like here in the U.S., a lot of times convenience stores have little mini pharmacies in them. In Japan, the konbini might have like a little itty bitty section with some of that like self-care type stuff. But a lot of that is only sold in specific like drug stores yeah see like the green cross in the window drugstore that's where you need to go and that's where you get diapers in japan yep and sunscreen <laughs> yeah and other like i don't know any medicines that you could need don't go to the kombini for that go to a drugstore i remember having to go to a drugstore to get ibuprofen for my brother because his knees were swelling up the first time we were there and like we couldn't find ibuprofen and like any cone beanie yeah how did you figure out where you needed to go um i think i saw the green cross and was like that looks like a drugstore <laughs> peeked in the window eh, it looks like stuff i'll go in that's lucky i guess yeah worked out going along with diapers sometimes you got to change those diapers unfortunately apparently you can't just stick a single diaper on a baby and let let it go for a couple weeks, you know? Wouldn't that be cool? Somebody needs to invent that, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, that would be great. Just like a little poop vacuum built into it or something. But since we're not living in the future, you need a place to change your baby. And not every restaurant is going to have changing facilities, but they're around. And Andy said that they are relatively nice and clean and well-equipped compared to the ones that he's used to at his home in the UK. Yeah, the ones here are a little bit lackluster, I'd say. He said some even had little bottle 
heating stations. Oh, wow. I've never seen that. I don't that. even know what that would look like. Yeah, wow. It's pretty cool, though. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing babies might need are high chairs. Not always available in Japan. Andy says he recommends a travel high chair that you can just strap onto a chair. Although chairs aren't necessarily always available if there's like booth or bench seating. So yeah, I guess in that case, you just put the baby on the bench and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking on, on your knee or something, but you know. Maybe there's a hook on the wall and you can just <laughs> hang him up. Uh, we think we've been talking about babies too long. Jason's <laughs> Jason's starting to make jokes. I'm coming up with all sorts of ideas. I think I need to invent some <laughs> some things. You should just be able to stick your baby on the wall, have a machine that eats all its poop, and you can just ignore it for a while. Maybe put like a soundproof orb around it or something. Is eat the word you had to use there? <laughs> no. But I don't regret that choice. <laughs> okay, a few more notes about attractions when you're in Japan. Watch for discounts. Kids are almost always cheaper. Yeah. There are also a lot of day passes for all sorts of things. We've talked about them in you know, city-specific episodes and all that. Like, you can get passes for buses you can get passes for trains or trams or whatever that city has. And a lot of times those little day passes also give you discounts at local attractions. So those could save you a ton of money. Yeah, I remember how much money my parents lost when I turned 12. Yeah. Start having to pay, pay full price for me everywhere. Or you make your kids lie about their age. Yeah, yeah. Too bad I was a tall kid. <laughs> it's a little, a little hard for me to get away with that. I think I've heard about kids... Like who are legitimately under the the threshold, but then they're just the people big. just don't believe them yeah. that they're that age because they look too big. Yeah, that big kid, like I'm eleven, <laughs> and they're like, no chance. He's got yeah. like a mustache. Yeah, <laughs> and they're like, prove it, and he's like, oh, here's my driver's license. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a catch twenty two. No one under no one under fifteen is gonna have like an ID on them. Yeah. Maybe carry a copy of their birth certificate or something. <laughs> <laughs> Seems overkill. Well, if you're if you're in Japan, you'll have a passport. They might ask I to guess see so. your, their passport. Oh man, Paul, oh, I feel like I missed something in my research. Now, do you need a passport for a baby? There's a certain there's a threshold there, right? Under a certain age, you don't need a passport. I just thought you did. I hadn't heard of that. I thought there was some like, cut at off. least pretty young. You need a passport. Maybe oh, maybe under a few months or something. I don't know. Because well, it takes a while to get a passport, right? The yeah. baby's got to be alive to be able to start the process. Right. So I guess that makes sense. Well, I'm sorry, everybody. I missed I missed that in my research. So I would say look into get that. Get your baby a passport. If it's necessary. As soon as you can. Look up with the laws. I don't know. Do baby passports not last as long? Or do kid passports? Because we've got a passport where your <laughs> kid's like a baby. And now they're like seven. And they've got right. their baby picture on the passport. <laughs> So many questions. I, uh, I think we dropped the ball in that. Yeah, I didn't think about that one. So many great places to bring your kids. Yeah. The last section I have is about how to keep your kids entertained. Like, you know, some of the stuff you can plan for, but some of the stuff you kind of just got to wing it when you're in Japan, right? Yeah, you know, Japan's safe. 
give him a handful of hundred yen coins, set him loose in the arcade, go do what you want to do, come back in a few hours. I thought you were just going to say, just set him loose in the middle of Tokyo, <laughs> just leave him on the street, have fun. No, 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 I'm, I'm civilized. Give them video games. <laughs> All right. Well, for babies, you might not want to just leave them in an arcade. Baby can just sit there while you play in the arcade. Well, sometimes babies don't want to just sit around, you know? True, true. I, my, the thing I'm getting at here is a, a tip that Andy had. Babies like to crawl around, right? So you might want to just give them some time to crawl around in the hotel lobby or in your room if you have enough floor space in your room for that. Let them tire themselves out, you yeah. know? Stop at a park every few hours. Yeah, there are little parks all over, like most Japanese cities, just kind of scattered around, so... They're like playgrounds and stuff. If you have kids that just need to get some energy out and run around. If you got older kids, you can uh, bribe them with rewards for good behavior. Sure. Back to arcades for a minute. Eric talked a lot about arcades. Arcades, I mean, arcades are great for everybody, right? Everybody likes arcades. I do. We spent several hours in arcades on our last trip. It was great. I'm not so big into crane games personally, but... You know, some people are into crane games. Uh, Eric said, you mentioned this already, I guess. Eric gave each of his kids 1,500 yen and just let them go crazy, you know? Play play all the crane games you can afford. Yeah. I have a quote, actually. I wanted to read this directly from Eric's notes because I just thought it was kind of a cool little story. Okay. Quote, It was so fun to see them debating and making their own decision on which machine they're going to spend their money on. After all their frustrated attempts, we noticed two old men carrying a big bag of prizes. So we told our kids to learn from these men. We saw them very patiently moving the prize, using the crane a little bit at a time, until around their fourth attempt, they managed to win the prize. We then politely approached them and asked if they would sell the prize to us for our sons and offered them 500 yen for one big stuffed toy. The old man looked at our son and agreed to sell to us Then he saw that we had two sons, and he gave another stuffed toy to our other son for free. We were very grateful, not just because of their kind gesture, but also that our kids were satisfied and stopped nagging us to play crane games. (laughs) (laughs) Especially that we saw our kids realize how much money they lost on the crane games. So, I don't know, I just... Let that be a lesson, son. (laughs) Yeah. Gambling don't get you nowhere. It is a good lesson. But I also like the anecdote, because it's just like... Those are the best experiences in Japan when you just run into like really friendly strangers, yeah. you know? It happens like yeah, all the time. They're going to remember like. that they got this teddy bear from some guy who won a crane game in Japan and gave it to them. Like, yeah, that's really cool. Totally. Um, we mentioned a little bit about giving your kids autonomy. You know, that's fun. Yeah, like what's Kid. the one thing you really want to do? Choose wisely. Yeah, so Eric got a waterproof, shockproof, portable camera and let his kids run around taking pictures of whatever they wanted. Maybe you have an old phone or something that you're not using. You can just give it to them just to take some pictures. That's fun. Yeah. I remember, I mean, we were kids a long time ago, but you know, parents give you a disposable camera and you don't know what the pictures are going to look like. You just run around snapping it at everything. And then when you get home, you turn it in and you have to wait to get your photos back. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I remember being on vacation and, catching my brother flipping me the bird on one of those disposable cameras. And I was like, I caught him. I caught him. I'll show you. I'll show you. It's on the camera. It's on the camera. And then like, you know, like 
three weeks later, we get the pictures back and like, I'm like, see mom, dad, see. And they're just like, oh, <laughs> I was like, that's it. You hoped they would be that's outraged. It. Yeah. I was like, you're not supposed to do that. Which I have to ask which brother. It was Bob. Oh, for some reason I, and he had that little that. grin on his face. Oh, I know you, that. You know, grin. The, you know <laughs> that know grin. grin. <laughs> we were all just joking around though. My brothers, my brothers were fine. Yeah. Uh, another thing Eric mentioned was kind of talking to your kids at the end of the day and doing a recap of the day, discussing what their favorite things were that they saw. Maybe just help solidify some good memories, you know? Yeah. I remember taking trips with my parents. I think they encouraged us to like keep a journal and write down everything that you did. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 wrote, I kept a journal on this last trip. And That's right. You kept a photo journal. Yeah. I just take thousands of pictures. That's my journal. <laughs> and we always talked about that too. We'd get back at the end of the night and we'd be like, oh, what was the coolest thing today? What yeah, are you totally. looking forward to most the next? You know, we were always talking about that. Definitely. And then you can talk about what's coming up the next day. Yeah. You get excited about like, oh, what, what new foods are we going to eat tomorrow? Yeah. Um, in addition to money like at the arcade that your kids can spend, maybe you want to give them like a daily allowance or just give them like a chunk of money that they have to spread out throughout the whole trip. Again, just to have some autonomy, they can decide what is valuable to them. Um, Eric said that he gave his kids money for like, you know, if you want to spend it on a vending machine or a gotcha pull machine, go ahead. Or if you want to save it up for something bigger at a gift shop, you can do that. And one of his kids used his own money to buy his dad a coffee. How sweet is that? Oh, that's nice. Selfless. What was he buttering him up for? <laughs> Good question. There's always an angle, right? That's good to see my report card when we get home from this trip. <laughs> Speaking of cards, Eric had another good tip about postcards. I never really think about postcards in the digital age, but... He got postcards for his kids and had them write to their grandparents. Yeah. That's a pretty nice idea. Oh, a little handwritten postcard to the grandparents. It's going to melt their heart. Yeah. And you can ask the front desk at your hotel to mail postcards for you. But uh, if you want to save a little hassle and a few yen, you can just take a picture of the postcard and <laughs> text it over. Yeah. <laughs> got anything else, Paul? That's it. What about you, Jason? That's all I got. Wow. Again, a huge thanks to Andy, Eric, and Nikki. Couldn't have done it without you. This is the end of season three, Jason. It went so fast this season, don't you think? No. I don't know. Maybe it's that it was bisected by our trip to Japan. That helped a little bit. Yeah. We recorded two episodes before we left, I think. Sure. Something, something like that. Yeah. 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 But then but those recap feels, episodes are really fun. Didn't it feels have to do like research. a long time ago now that we went to Japan. It really does. And we're still doing this season. So that's why I'm not saying it went quick. Yeah, I get I get that. This is an appropriate amount of time. Sure. Well, let's see. Got some things to say at the end of the season, I guess. Number one, want to thank everyone, all of our listeners, so much for all the support this season especially to our patrons on Patreon, especially especially to our Shogun-level patrons, Nicholas McKibben, Paula, and Kevin Harris. Thank you guys so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you. If you want to join the Patreon or the Discord, 
Check out the show notes. There are links there. There are also links on our website, sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. And now that we're going to be in the interim between seasons three and four, if you're a Patreon member at the five or $10 tier, be sure to submit your idea for an episode topic for the next season. That's, a, that's one of your benefits. You can do that either on the Patreon, where we have a post specifically for that, or you could do that in the Discord. We have a Patreon channel in there now that you could throw it in. And for all Patreon members at all levels, keep an eye out for the poll. We're going to be putting out a poll with all of those suggestions, and then you can all vote on which episode you want to see in the next season. I'm excited to see uh, what we're going to get on that poll. Yeah, me too. So just to let you know what's happening, we're taking a little break between seasons, and we're going to work on what's coming up for season four. But I think during our break, there's going to be a special holiday coming up that we normally do a special episode for. Yes, there is. Look out for another Halloween special this year. Can't miss it. Halloween's the best. Haven't quite decided what creepy topic we're going to cover, but... Uh, but it will be spooky. And it will be fun. Yes. Stay connected with us on Instagram or Twitter. We'll make announcements once the next season's coming up. We'll be posting some other stuff. Yep, we'll keep you updated. Thanks, everyone, for listening to another season and looking forward to being back. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next season.